the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. And by the way, when you are witnessing to people, and hopefully you, from time to time, when you have occasion, you will share your faith in Christ and you'll talk about the Lord when the Lord opens up those doors of opportunity with friends or co-workers or family members. And it's often good to find the entry point by asking questions. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because there's no one good except God. And he's getting this guy to recognize by probing him a little bit that if you're calling me good and only God is good, are you calling me God? In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about evangelizing with people in your circle of influence. In the life of a believer, you'll have opportunities to share your faith with others. By sharing your story of God's grace and mercy in your life, you can help others to come into a relationship with Christ themselves. But how? Ask questions. Oftentimes, we may get excited to just start talking and talking. But take a moment to ask questions and create a real conversation instead of a sermon. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We left off last week uh, on the um, uh, somewhat sensitive topic of divorce that Jesus addresses in the first part of Matthew, chapter 19, and we uh, spent considerable time talking about that subject. Uh, Obviously, a subject like divorce affects statistically 50% of any crowd that you're going to talk to. And so even in the church, the statistics of divorce, sadly, are not much different than outside the church. And about one in every, uh, about 50% of Christian marriages, unfortunately, those who are Christians end in divorce, and about 53% of those outside the church. Not much difference there. Unfortunately, there should be a huge difference because if we, um, uh, we have a greater advantage as believers to know that even uh, though the world might, um, in some circumstances, uh, if you will, kind of check out um, that we as believers have the extra uh, uh, ability at our disposal to persevere under difficult circumstances. Although there are some biblical grounds for divorce, we covered that last week, and Jesus mentions uh, one of the two in Matthew 19. Uh, nevertheless, we should continue to persevere for our marriages, pray, uh, fight for your families. Uh, the enemy wants nothing more than just to dissolve your marriage, dissolve your family. He gets great delight in that. But uh, the Lord greater in us than he that is in the world. And so as we continue to just draw our strength from the Lord, persevere and ask him for his help and his grace, uh, then, then we can hopefully have those kind of marriages and families that bring glory and honor to him. Well, after uh, teaching on the subject of divorce, 
Then Jesus, uh, in verse 13, is going to use uh, a, a little children as examples for us. And uh, he says in, it says in verse 13, Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Uh, I often will quote this passage from the Gospel of Mark because Mark actually adds that he placed his hands on them and blessed them. And that's what we do when we dedicate little ones here at Cornerstone. We just kind of follow this model. It's kind of amusing in a sad way to think about how his disciples felt that Jesus was just too busy and too um, important to be bothered uh, by little children. And so the disciples rebuked the parents. You know, Jesus didn't have time for this, and, you know, just take your, your little munchkins and go somewhere else. Can you, I mean, you have to picture this scene where, where the, these disciples, I mean, the church is going to be launched on the shoulders of these guys. And, and yet they're sitting around going, you know, we don't have time for your, your little snotty-nosed kids. Just get out of here and go buy them a toy or just, you know, give them, give them a donut. But Jesus can't be bothered. And Jesus sees this, and, and Mark in particular tells us that he was indignant. Jesus was indignant with his own disciples. And uh, he calls the little children to come to him. And he's going to use little children in different ways. We talked last uh, couple of weeks ago about the different ways in Scripture that Jesus uses children as an example and as a model for us even as adults. And this is a time when he reminds us here that little children, uh, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And earlier in Matthew, he says that we have to receive the kingdom like a little child or we will never enter it. There has to be this childlike faith. There has to be this trust in the Lord, not this adult analytical mindset where we always are approaching you know, the things of God uh, purely from an intellectual standpoint instead of including the heart with the intellect. The heart is not to be absent the intellect, but if it's only the intellect without recognizing the heart issues of life, then we will just simply be always analytical in our approach to God. And, and Jesus wants us to approach him in this heartfelt, childlike way, trusting him, yielding to him, giving our hearts to him. And so Jesus, not to be uh, busy, uh, invites children to come to him. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, it tells us then on the heels of that in verse 16 that now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, let me just read through all of this dialogue, and then I'll come back and we'll study it. Verse 17, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will, be, will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So let's back up and take a look at this. Here comes this guy, and the Bible says uh, that he is rich, young, and influential. Now, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story. John does not, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story. And between the three Gospels, we learn that this guy is both uh, rich, young, and influential. Uh, All three of them tell us that he is rich. All three Gospels tell us he is wealthy. Uh, Matthew's Gospel tells us that he was young. And Luke's Gospel tells us that he was a ruler. So that's the influential part. So we have this story recorded, if you'd like to write these kind of things in the margin of your Bible. We have it here in Matthew. We have it in Mark 10 and Luke 18. It's always good when you are studying through the Bible that you can also cross-reference the other gospel accounts because sometimes uh, the gospel writers will approach the same scene from a a little bit of a different angle, a little bit of a different vantage point, and it all complements They all complement each other, but you get the fullness of the story sometimes when you look into all three together. And when you put all three together, we find this guy was young, and he was rich, and he was influential. It doesn't say how young he is. It doesn't say how much money he had. It just says that he's wealthy, and he's a ruler of some kind. And he comes to Jesus, and he asks about eternal life. Now, he asks in Matthew's gospel, what good thing must I do to gain eternal life? In Mark and Luke's gospel, their vantage point, they uh, say that he not only asks what good thing must I do, but he also calls Jesus good. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this guy is a moralist. By that I mean he is interested in doing something good to gain eternal life. He wants to know what it is to get saved. We would use that expression today, or we would use a biblical expression from John 3 saying about being born again. He wants to know, how do I have eternal life? How do I get saved? How do I get born again? Whatever phrase you want to use. But he's used to doing things to get where he's gotten. Now, perhaps it's inherited wealth. We don't know. But I suspect, and most commentators believe, that because he's a ruler, that his wealth and his influence has come from the fact that he's a hardworking guy. So he's used to doing hardworking things, and he thinks, as a moralist, if I just do good things, if I work hard at doing good things, that's how I can get eternal life. Now, Jesus is first going to respond with a little bit of a pushback, and he's going to key in on the word good, and he says to him back there in verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one, capital O, who is good, and if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, again, Mark and Luke, they will say that Jesus says to him, why do you call me good for no one is good except God? And what Jesus is doing, and it's brilliant, and he uses this approach to always kind of get to the heart of things, is he often asks questions. And by the way, when you are witnessing to people, and hopefully you, from time to time when you have occasion, you will share your faith in Christ and you'll talk about the Lord when the Lord opens up those doors of opportunity with friends or coworkers or family members. And it's often good to find the entry point by asking questions. 
And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because there's no one good except God. And he's getting this guy to recognize by probing him a little bit that if you're calling me good and only God is good, are you calling me God? Do you recognize that I really am God? Because if you don't recognize that I'm God, the rest of what I'm saying may not make much sense to you. And he's going to find this entry point into this guy's heart. And he asks, you know, why are you asking what good thing that you can do? There's only one who is good, and that's God. And so are you really interested in knowing what God thinks? And Jesus then says to him, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now check that out, because if I were to say to you, if you were to ask me, if you just come to me privately after the service and say, hey, Pastor, Pastor Gary, what do I need to do to be saved? And I give you the answer Jesus gave. You just obey all the commandments and then you'll be saved. Those of you who are seasoned saints might hear that conversation and think, that's heresy. You're supposed, <laughs> you're supposed to tell them to believe in Jesus. Well, now listen, why does Jesus say that? Well, he said, if you, believe, if you obey the commandments, you'll have eternal life. Because the fact of the matter is that if it were possible to do everything just right, then we would be perfect and that's how we would have eternal life. The truth is we cannot do everything right and it exposes our need for a savior. So what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to get this guy to realize you don't obey all the, you don't obey all the commandments, do you? Because if you were able to obey all the commandments, we wouldn't need this conversation. You'd be perfect and on your way to heaven. But the fact of the matter is you're born with a sin nature and you by nature will do things that are contrary to God and you're going to break his commandments. So he kind of throws this out there. And he says, well, if you just obey all the commandments, that'll be good. And the guy says, well, pray tell, which ones? <laughs> now, the real answer here is all of them, dude, okay? But what Jesus does is he's going to take the Ten Commandments and he's going to break down the two tablets. Now, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, ten of them written out for us in Exodus chapter 20, inscribed by the finger of God, given to Moses on two tablets of stone. The first four are vertical. The first four commandments have to do with your relationship with God. It's, it's the vertical relationship. Have no other gods before me. Uh, you will not make any idols. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God and keep the Sabbath holy. Those are the first four. It's all vertical. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to use the second tablet, which is all horizontal. First four commandments of the ten have to do with your relationship with God. The other commandments have to do with your relationship to your fellow man. And so that's where Jesus is going to go. Now notice this, because there's a reason behind why he chooses to use the second tablet. And this is what he says in verse, uh, the rest of verse 18. He says, well, do not murder... That's commandment number six. This all has to do with your fellow men. Do not murder. That's commandment six. Do not commit adultery. Commandment seven. Do not steal. That's commandment eight. Do not give false testimony. That's commandment nine. And honor your father and mother. That's commandment five. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not a commandment, but that's, that's the summary of the commandments. Because what he gives are the horizontal commandments, and he says... Basically, the, to paraphrase all of that, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he intentionally, Jesus intentionally omits commandment number seven, uh, sorry, 10, which has to do with coveting. Because this guy's got a lot of money, and chances are Jesus is looking into his heart, realizing he's got a coveting problem here. 
So he, 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 Jesus covers commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 5 in that order. And notice what the guy says in verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now check this out. Jesus intentionally gives the second tablet of the testimony because Jesus knows these he has done well. You've been pretty good about keeping true to your fellow man, and that's been God-honoring. You haven't committed adultery. You haven't stolen from anybody. uh, You have uh, not um, given false testimony about anybody. You've honored your father and mother. and, and, And so I think it's either Mark or Luke's gospel. It says that Jesus commends him. Yeah, this is great. But what the guy lacked was the vertical part. He was okay in his relationship with other people, but he was not okay in his relationship with God. Why? Because what Jesus knew, and this is where he's probing, he's kind of touching on this, he's getting the guy to realize, okay, you've done great in far, as far as the horizontal, but vertically your problem is that you have made your wealth your God and not God. So you can't fairly say that you have no other gods before him because you have a big God and it's your stuff. And that's why Jesus says, well, why don't you just sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me? And he's trying to pry him to make him recognize who's your God here. Because if God is your God, then you'll have no problem just following me and giving everything you have to the poor. But if your stuff is your God, then you're not going to do this. And the Bible says that when he heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, at first glance, that looks very tragic, and it is. But in another sense, it's actually a very good thing that he goes away sad. Because at least his heart here is realizing, man, this isn't, this isn't right. And so he has emotion over this. He doesn't go away mad. He goes away sad. He doesn't go away stubborn or proud. He goes away sad. There's some brokenness here, but just not enough. Now, Jesus then turns to his disciples, and he uses this as a teaching point. And he says to them, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you have ever heard this whole idea taken from this passage, that when Jesus says it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle... And I've heard this myself from, from pastors and teachers and people on TV and radio, that what this means is that, the, that really the eye of a needle is another word for a smaller gate, a smaller door on a city, and when the main gate is closed, the, the camel and you can't go through the main gate because for security reasons, you got to go through the little gate, otherwise called the eye of the needle. So you got to take all the baggage off of the camel and you got to get the camel down on its knees and you got to kind of push the camel through the eye of the needle and then you can get into the city. Now, how many of you heard of teaching something along those lines? That was your answer. All right, so have I. And that just is not true. <laughs> because look, The Greek word here for needle is the Greek word raphis, and it is the same word used in Mark's gospel, and it means sewing needle. It means sewing needle. Now, Luke will use a different word. He uses the word bellone, not baloney, but bellone, and bellone means surgical needle, and you'd expect them to say that because Luke, the Bible says, was a doctor. But he gets the idea still the same, sewing needle, surgical needle. 
Jesus is saying here that the eye of a needle, the part that you thread, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Now, wait a minute. What does that mean? In perspective, in context, what he's saying is this. Not that there's anything wrong with being wealthy or being rich. Look, Deuteronomy 8.18 says that it is the Lord who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. If God gives you the ability to produce wealth and to make a good living, and everything has generously come from his hand, why would he give you the ability to produce something that is sinful or wrong? There's nothing wrong with making money and being successful and achieving and accumulating um, God's generous provision and blessing in your life. The problem is when you make that stuff God is when you violate the first tablet of the commandments because now your stuff owns you instead of you owning your stuff. The context of the, of the conversation here is it is harder for a rich man who has made his possessions God to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. It's impossible for any of us who have made anything or anybody God other than the true and living God to get to heaven. It's impossible. If you have anything else that is superior to the God of of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then that is idolatry, and there's no way that you can get to heaven if God is not truly God in your life. So it's not, if you take this out of context and you look, well, you know, what Jesus is saying is it's really, really hard. Just get a camel down on all fours and push through this little gate called a needle. I, I don't know where that is anywhere, but that's not in the Bible. Because Jesus is trying to say here, look, this is an impossibility if anything or anyone else is God. In this guy's case, it's money, so he uses that to illustrate this truth. But that's why when they say, in verse 25, when they heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? You know, these guys, these guys are always perplexed because in the previous section, when we talked about divorce and Jesus goes through talking about this is what marriage is, this is what God's intent is, and don't just run off and get no-fault divorces. And the disciples say, well, then who can get married? And now they're like, well, who can get saved? You can just see they're like, they're, neuro- they're neurotic all the time. They're like, well, if this is the case, you know, we can't even get married. Who's going to be saved? And Jesus comes back and he says, okay, now listen, listen. Verse 26, he looked at them and he said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, the problem with the rich guy is God was not his God. And so with man this is impossible, but with God, if God is your God, it's possible to go to heaven. It's possible to be forgiven. It's possible to, by grace, receive the forgiveness of sins and be able to go to heaven, but not if you have other things that are your God. And it's not just money. Anything can be our God if we make it our God. Uh, But God, supremely on the throne, wants to be Lord of our lives and nothing else. Now, don't you love Peter again? Because Peter, he's always shooting off his mouth, right? And, but here he goes again. This is, and, and so verse 27, Peter answered him, well, we have left everything to follow you. What then will, be, will there be for us? Now, you can either read that to mean, well, we've given everything. So, I mean, we've sacrificed everything, Lord, for you. Or you can interpret it, and I think this is really what he's saying. Well, we've left everything, so there must be a lot of stuff in store for us somewhere. We're going to get rewarded for leaving everything for you, Jesus. Oh, be- 
Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person. That includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know